Hello, I'm glad you joined us online right now. Really glad you're here. We're continuing with our Bible Stories message series, and we're looking at the most well-known stories in the Bible of all time. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you know these stories. If you didn't, we want to help you get familiar with them because they are packed, chocked full of insights to help us live our lives. These aren't bedtime stories. They're not fables. They are real historical events that help us learn who God is and how to live life from the perspective that he wants us to choose. Stories reveal a lot about people and the God they worship. The Bible, I appreciate it, because it portrays the leaders and the people with no added polish whatsoever. It reveals their strengths and weaknesses along with glaring flaws. And I can relate to the people in the Bible because they're a lot like me. They're real and they're raw. There is a specific purpose that God tells us, and he tells us why he included these stories in the scriptures. You find it in Romans 15:4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. The story of the birth of the nation of Israel carries many lessons for God's people, for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ and come to know God in for who he is. And they also provide a great deal of encouragement. We can find a ton of encouragement in here. Last week, we looked at Joseph's life and how Israel settled in Egypt. And everything was going well for a time. God had put Joseph in a position to allow his family, the people of Israel at the time, their their dad was Israel. That's whom the nation is named after. And he, it, everything was going well. He put God had put him in a position, Joseph, in a position where his family could come to Egypt and thrive during famine and then for the next several years. And things were going well for a time. But the good times didn't keep rolling or last very long in Egypt. After Joseph died, a new king came to power. Exodus 1.8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, I think of this passage whenever new leadership takes over anything I'm connected to. If they don't know me and they don't have a prior relationship with me, I, I usually think a pharaoh arose who knew not Randy. And that clues me in that I need to build a bridge and begin to establish a trust relationship with these folks. This king didn't know anything about Joseph. He felt threatened by the Israelites as their population grew. And he started to persecute the Israelites and force them into slavery. Yet their population continued to grow from Joseph's family of seven 70 to 2 to 3 million. And because their numbers were a threat, the king of Egypt issued an evil command for the Hebrew midwives to kill 
any male Israelite that was born. Now, here's some encouragement we can get out of this despicable decree and how God worked in response to it. God promises to fulfill his purpose in the lives of his people. We can count on that. We can trust him to do that as we set ourselves to live for him and to live his purpose for our lives. People need leadership. And we're going to see how God protected a man for whom he had a great purpose. Moses is one of the most revered leaders in the history of Israel. But his life would have never been if God hadn't miraculously worked behind the scenes to keep him alive and put him into a position of influence. Let's see how that all worked out. Here's the circumstances surrounding Moses' birth. Exodus 2, 1-3 through 3 says, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, now every mom thinks that their baby is a fine child, at least good moms do, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the mile of the Nile. Sorry. Moses is born. His mother keeps him as long as possible, as long as he stays quiet. You know the babies get louder as they grow up. At the beginning they're not that loud, but boy, they, they can belt it out. And so she she thought, I can't keep him quiet any longer. I can't hide him. So she prepares a basket and places him in the basket and in the Nile. Can you imagine the moment when his mom let go of that basket? All mothers should deliver their babies into the hands of the providence of God. But Moses' mother literally had to. I'm sharing some insights. Some of the insights I'm sharing are from this book, The Invisible Hand of God by R.C. Sproul. I recommend that you read it. If you want some encouragement about the invisible hand of God and how he works to fulfill his purpose, his good purpose in our lives, So Moses' path, back to the story, Moses' path through the river would could be affected by concealed rocks, floating branches, even crocodiles. And you know this if you've ever taken a rafting trip down a river. I took a rafting trip down the Rio Grande one time, and thankfully we had a guide who could warn us of the dangers. And they they told us, you could die. Right now, if if you don't listen to me, you could definitely die. Now, that gets your attention. But they warned us about holes, currents, holes that could put you down, like holes around a rock that could pull you down and cause you to drown. That, that gets your attention. But you need a guide. And 
what you see here is the invisible hand of God that was guiding Moses to the right place. Now, I'm sure his mom couldn't bear to watch, but his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The only hope the mother had for his survival, for Moses' survival, was to trust in the hand of God who made the river and governed its ebb and flow. At that moment, the only eyes that were on Moses and the basket were the eyes of his sister and the eyes of God. Thankfully, God was watching, and he's watching our lives as well. Then someone else notices the baby, Exodus 2, 5, and 6. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies. It just so happens that the little watercraft floats toward the part of the river where the king's daughter was bathing, and it caught her eye. That's an amazing piece of providence right there. We aren't told when he started crying, but when she opened the basket, Moses was crying. It, it could have been a cry that drew her attention. We, we don't know that. But if this is a coincidence, it's one of the most remarkable coincidences in the history of the world. In any case, this young lady had compassion on the baby and makes arrangements to take care of him. If she would have obeyed the edict of her father, she would have thrown the baby back into the river and our story would be over. But we know that the story continues because there are epic Hollywood movies about this baby and he grows up and leads the children of Israel. Exodus 2, 7 through 9 says this, Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Is that great or what? She was able to care for the baby for a time. I, I've been in a few situations in my life where I didn't have time to process. I just had to act and trust God. And every time I've done that, he's come through. He is faithful to provide. Exodus 2.10 says, When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. That's likely what his name means. Growing up in Pharaoh's household was a preparation for God, for Moses to, by God, to fulfill his purpose, for Moses to fulfill his purpose. The Lord promises to fulfill his purpose in the lives of all his people who are giving themselves to his purpose, and living for him. Here's a recounting 
in the New Testament of this part of the Moses story. Acts 7, 22, or 20 through 22 says, At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He must have been a really good-looking baby, maybe a Gerber baby. I don't know if you know what that is, but I'm telling my age. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Growing up in the king's household gave Moses just the training he needed to lead well and fulfill God's purpose for his life. And we can trust God to use our upbringing, our background, our experiences to fulfill his purpose in our lives as well as we serve him in the church. But it put him in a unique place and in a unique relationship to negotiate with Pharaoh over the release of the Hebrews. He was a known person. The Pharaoh would have known him. He was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he had the right instincts to work in that setting with Pharaoh. And this gave him a unique background for governing the nation of Israel, which became 2.5 to 3 million people by the time they were led out of slavery in Egypt, from 70 when they went to Egypt during the days of Joseph. Here's the major lesson that I want you and, and I to take away from Moses' birth and upbringing. We can trust God to work out the details of our lives to fulfill his purpose for us. This story brings up a lot of what ifs, and we can play that game sometimes. We can run the scenarios for sure. What if Moses, uh, the baby, had been discovered in the first three months of his life? What if the little watercraft sank? What if Pharaoh's daughter hadn't been there? We all have moments in our lives when we think and we, we look back and we think, Woo! I'm glad I made it. I'm, that was a close call. It's at times like this we should bow and thank God for his providence, his care for us. He is in control. For the sake of time, I've got to fast forward through a major part of this story when the Israelites are freed from slavery. But I'm going to give you a quick recap because it relates to what I'm going to talk about next. God appears to Moses in a burning bush as when he was an adult uh, and tells him he is going to lead the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. God works through a series of miracles and plagues to try to pry the king of Egypt's hand open to let the Israelites go. After many miracles and ten plagues, the king finally relents and lets them go. But then he changes his mind and the Egyptian army begins to chase the Israelites and, and they get to the Red Sea, which is a barrier to get where they're going. 
And you likely know the story that God parts the Red Sea for the Israelites and it swallows up the Egyptian army who is chasing him. It's epic. It's an epic part of the story. And I hate to gloss over it, but I need to. The Israelites' exodus from slavery in Egypt is nothing short of miraculous. God is working. He's involved in what's going on. He did amazing things to get them out from under the heavy hand of Pharaoh and slavery in Egypt. Now, time goes on, and the Israelites find themselves traveling through the desert, and they get tired and hungry and thirsty. And I get grouchy when I'm tired and hungry and thirsty. I think some people call it hangry. You get hangry. And this brings us to another lesson that we need to take away from the Israelites' history. God is faithful to meet our needs as he leads us to fulfill his purpose. If you set your heart on God's purpose for your life and you aim to live it out, he promises to take care of your needs. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6:33. But the Israelites, they find themselves in an uncomfortable place. They have they're experiencing discomfort. They're worried about their food and what they're going to eat and they long for the days when they were back in Egypt. Exodus 16:3 says, And the people of Israel said to them, talking to the leaders, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they're blaming Moses. And this upsets him. And isn't it amazing that God has done all these things to bring them out of slavery to Egypt. He has freed them from from slavery. And what do they do? They start to complain and whine and grumble. And they want to go back into slavery. That's incredible. That's crazy. We can do... We can do this as well when we're uncomfortable, when we're experiencing a little discomfort. What have you done lately for me, God? That's kind of sometimes my heart. I, I really, you know, I, I want to be comfortable. But God uses the discomfort to teach us and to grow us. In an amazing display of patience, God hears their complaint, and he promises to miraculously provide food for them, the Israelites. The Lord tells Moses his plan to provide, but Moses was sort of a hothead, you see, a couple times in his life. And he dealt with anger. So instead of just telling the people uh, that God's going to provide the food, he, he can't believe the people are complaining like they are, and he has a back and forth with them about who's to blame for their current conditions. 
He says, look, I'm not to blame. God is the one who led me to lead you out of slavery. You're not complaining against me. You're complaining against the living God who has done so much for you. And this is true anytime we complain. We're complaining about our circumstances. We're complaining against the God who controls our circumstances. He is incredibly patient with us in spite of our hearts, our complaining, grumbling hearts. And he was patient with the Israelites, just like he was patient with them. He's patient with us. Verse 11 and 12 and 16 Exodus 16 says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. The lesson we learn from this is that God knows our needs before we have them. But he wants us to go to him. Instead of complaining and whining and griping about our circumstances, he wants us to go to him and trust him. He, he miraculously provides quail at night and bread in the morning. It was called manna, which means what is it? They couldn't figure out what it is. But he miraculously provides for their needs. And they're, in response to their grumbling and complaining, he is incredibly gracious and patient with us. So instead of complaining about your circumstances, turn to the Lord in prayer, knowing that you can trust him to fulfill his purpose for you. Stop complaining and start praying. God has a purpose for your life. And he will fulfill it. He promises to do so in Psalm 38, 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. We are the work of his hands. He made us. He will take care of us as we set our heart to do what pleases him. God wants to help you and strengthen you. If you or someone close to you is suffering with an illness, if you're in a time of incredible discomfort in your life, you can know that God is at work to help you and strengthen you, and he will fulfill his purpose for you. You can trust him. He will work good in your life through the difficulty. If you're frustrated at your job, things aren't going well with your boss or with co-workers, or maybe you need a job, God will take care of you. He will meet your needs as you set your heart to fulfill his purpose for your life. The history of the people of God, the Israelites, and us, now the people of God or the church, It provides a testimony of the faithfulness of God to accomplish his purpose in the lives of his people and provide for them. He miraculously saved Moses' life 
from the evil decree of the king of Egypt uh, as the midwives were ordered to kill the baby boys that were born. And he will help you. He has a purpose for your life. And he promises to fulfill that purpose for those of us who have chosen to follow Christ and give ourselves to that purpose. I want to share some next steps with you that you could take as a result of these stories and the lessons that we can learn from them. First step, trust God with the details of your life, knowing that he will fulfill his purpose for you if you submit to it and work with him to fulfill it. And then the second step, stop complaining and start praying. Maybe you have some circumstances going on right now and they're worrying you, they're troubling you. You're tempted to complain about them. Or maybe you are complaining about them. Instead, start talking to God. Pour out your heart to God and ask him to help you and he will come and be with you and help you walk through those circumstances. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your patience. You are so patient with us in the midst of the whining and complaining we do over the circumstances of our lives. But God, we ask for you to work in us and through us and for us to accomplish your purpose through us, through our lives. And we honor you for your patience, for your kindness, and your goodness to us, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.